Hi everyone, welcome back to the History Hive podcast. We are back with another episode of our new rebranded podcast and today we're going to be talking about the history of Valentine's Day. We know it's a little bit late, Valentine's Day has passed, but but now I was going to make a joke about this Valentine's being in history now. Um, Ooh, well, I wouldn't. I didn't. So... <laughs> But however you chose to spend your Valentine's Day with a loved one alone, eating food in your room, or going out on the town alone. Everyone <laughs> could have been together. <laughs> or with loved ones. We hope you had a great day. Valentine's Day is actually my brother's birthday. Yeah. Fun fact. We never do anything lovey on valentine's day it's much more surrounded by cake and burgers but however you spent your valentine's day we hope you will be curious about how our friends in the past celebrated their valentine's day how on earth it started yeah and i think valentine's day is such a big thing for us now and like commercially it's such a big thing like everyone's spending money everyone is like stressed and it's interesting to see where that came from and where along the way it went from something that was quite like traditional, quite religious, to something that became such like a consumer festival kind of thing. And with Valentine's Day, it's one of those things where we don't exactly know how it started and how it ties to love and all these things. But what we can do is present a number of different theories of its origins and... Yeah, maybe one of them's right. Maybe they're all wrong. <laughs> they're all fun to talk about. Maybe there is a right one, but we didn't write it down. <laughs> so, like, kind of the first stuff we have about Valentine's Day is in Roman times, around 4th century BC, that kind of date. And there was this annual ritual to the gods Lupicus and Juno. So Lupicus he protected lambs from wolves and he was meant to be the kind of the god of fertility and Juno was almost like she guarded wives and like a wife like a marriage thing and so what they would do is they'd have this lottery where the young women's names were put into a box and the men would go up and they'd draw a name and that was like their match which is like you know kind of weird but okay and we can see it throughout the history of Valentine's a lot of it becomes quite taboo like the more you go through it and so you have these church fathers who really wanted to end this tradition and so they try and well they do they replace Lupicus this festival about Lupicus with a festival about Saint Valentine who had been this martyr who basically he was put in prison because he had carried on marrying young people who were in love even when Emperor Claudius II had said he could no longer marry people like they needed his permission and he kept doing it in person so as that like idea that he supported true love and that he kind of understood what true love was and this is where we get the saying you know when people I, I wouldn't relate but when some people sometimes people send a valentine and they put the end from your valentine and it was supposed that when he was imprisoned he fell in love with the daughter of his jailer and one of his last letters was sent to her and it was signed off from your Valentine. Wow. Nothing better than a classic forbidden love story. 
It's like Romeo and Juliet. Yeah, but with a convict and the daughter of his jailer. Yeah, so the church really thought that they could put St. Valentine as like the opposition to Lupicus to take the popularity of Lupicus onto St. Valentine. And so in AD 496, Pope Gelasius outlawed the festival that was held in mid-February that was to Lupicus, but he kind of replaced it with a festival to honour St. Valentine, and it retained the whole lottery idea because that was so like popular among the Roman community. But instead of there being women's names on the box, the box now had the names of lots of different saints, so men and women would go and take the name of the box, and whichever saint they got, they were expected to kind of act like that saint for the next year. Can I give some more details about Lupercalia? Well, the yeah. Men, it was a pagan holiday, as we've said, but it was really surrounded around the idea of fertility as well. And sometimes men would get naked and they would kill a dog or a goat or a small animal and they would sacrifice it to the gods. And then the younger boys and the younger men would take strips of the hide from these animals and whip young women with the idea of whipping fertility into them, which I don't know logically if that would work. <laughs> I'm going to lean towards no. But I, it's... That's wild. It is wild. What a day. And it was still celebrated over a hundred years, nearly two hundred years after Christianity was legalized by the Roman Empire, so it does persist. And when, as Lara said, Pope Galatius ends this, they they do kind of want to continue not Lupercalia itself, but the holiday on February the fourteenth. And some historians do suggest that this new festival about the saints, or or there was even a new feast of Saint Valentine that was declared like 100 or so years later, on February 14th, that those were implemented to replace Lupercalia to give a festivity at this time of year. I think you're right, because, like, for the men of the time, they're used to going up and getting a woman's name and getting, you know, to marry them, or at least, like, try. And suddenly now they just get a saint they have to act like. And, like, surely that's not going to be hugely popular. No. It's not much fun. Yeah, if we're being honest here, TBH, it's just not as cool. Hot take. I think they could have kept the other one. <laughs> so that's kind of where people think it might originate from. And then there are more kind of points along the way where we can see like how it has developed into what we see today. And a lot of it helps with like, the spread of Christianity and the spread of Western ideas brings Valentine's Day into this more modern sense. Um, we have what is supposedly one of the earliest known Valentine's cards was sent by Charles, the Duke of Orleans, in 1415, whilst he was imprisoned in the Tower of London. There is slowly this custom grows of um, giving gifts and of especially handwritten cards, which grows a lot in the 18th century. And with the handwritten cards, that's when it becomes a lot more accessible for everyone because, you know, it's not, you know, you don't have to give a fancy gift. It's something that kind of everyone can participate more in. 
there's also ideas um, that it originated around because he actually connected to the or connected the origin of Valentine's Day to the mating habits of birds. And then yeah, again with the spread of Western values. So for example, China only began to celebrate Valentine's Day after it had adopted its open door policy. And this is when kind of more young people especially are partaking in Western holidays. And so it is like a Western Christian tradition spreading. And the specific Chaucer poem that people attribute to having connections with Valentine's Day is called The Parliament of Fowls. And I actually read that to prepare for this episode. It is 700 lines long. Now you should read a bit of it. You put in work. (laughs) I can read a bit of it. But it's written before standardised English, obviously, and the only copy that I found for free uh, at the time of research was one where they didn't try and correct the standardised English to make it a bit easier for folk like myself, who are pretty poor at reading at the best of times, to understand. I can read a, a line. For all be that I know not love indeed, ne what how that he quieteth folk here higher. But God saved a switch, I can no more, of usage. What for lust, what for law, on books read I offer, as I yell told, as I now told. I'm I'm skipping about about a bit. But I could I could imagine this poem, you know, people get getting going to it. It has a has it's fun. It's love. Rhythm, I like it. Yeah. You my my self-imposed rhythm on that poem. <laughs> um I like your performance of it then. Thank you, thank you. Every now and again, I feel like every six or so episodes, we have a, a mini performance. Um, um, no, we have one every episode. You did one last sorry, time as sorry. well. That's true. That's true. The new and improved podcast has a performance every episode. Yeah, always by Phoebe, because there's just so much passion behind what she's saying. I know. Last week it was you, wasn't it? No, it was you. Uh-oh. You, <laughs> you read the end of the Boudicca song from Horrible Histories. Oh, yes, yes. I did do that. I just, I always keep in my mind Lara's song. It was a great moment. But maybe we could talk about St. Valentine himself and who he was. So St. Valentine himself, there is not just one St. Valentine, there is not just two. There is around 30 St. Valentines, which is really just a bit excessive at that point. So people do speculate which St. Valentine is the one to inspire Valentine's Day. And people have narrowed it down to two, though. Not only, as I said, are there about 30 St. Valentines, there are two St. Valentines that died on February 14th. So, yeah. It's really weird. It's kind of crazy. Um, I know. What are the chances? There are also some Valentinas, St. Valentinas. So, love that. that. So, one of the St. Valentine's was a priest who was arrested during the Roman persecutions of the Christians. And he refused to renounce his Christianity, as most saints, I feel, do. But his punishment, he was placed under house arrest. And the head of the house challenged Valentine to prove his faith and to go, well, if your faith is right, show it. And he supposedly then healed a blind girl by putting his hands on her face and asking God to come forth, be with her. And it worked. The blind girl was no longer blind. And it was it was crazy. It was a miracle. Valentine was still executed, though, of course. It, it's 
which I find really funny. Imagine it's like, oh my goodness, she cured my daughter. Well, it's a shame. Never mind. Uh, but then there was a second Valentine, and this was about hun hundreds of years later, maybe, who this Valentine was also known to heal physical disabilities. And this bishop healed one particular boy who could not speak, and I think he had problems with his joints, and had this miracle. And again, what do you do when you have a miracle maker? You place them under arrest, ask them to renounce their faith, and when they don't, you then behead them. And this is what happened to the second Valentine, also on February 14th. It's strange that it did happen twice, and some people even speculate that these were just the same people, the same person, and stories have been a bit confused because they are quite similar stories. But either way, we're not sure which St. Valentine this is, and this doesn't Neither of them particularly have connections to love, as we've discussed the connections of Valentine's Day to love are strange. But there you go. Those were the St. Valentine's Day. St. Saint, Saint Valentine's. <laughs> so I think first we can have like a little look at what Valentine's was like a bit later, so early modern England. And I mean, after this, we can look at America and you can just see that a lot of the changes in the way Valentine's was celebrated is affected by how quickly and heavily it's commercialized in America. So the early traditions, sorry, the early traditions in England were that sometimes children would parade from door to door and they'd cry out, good morrow to you, Valentine. And it, it's almost like a trick or treat kind of thing because they get like food in return for that. You'd also have the same it's almost a lottery vibe but friends and family would meet and they'd draw their valentines by lottery and then exchange gifts but a lot of the valentine's practices are like do heavily involve superstition and mysticism and so there are people that believe that a valentine was the first stranger you saw on the morning of february 14th and that you should kiss them and then you also had unmarried women would fast they'd lay out bread cheese and ale and that was thought that the man she was meant to marry would be drawn to her room for that but as we move through the time these superstitions become really taboo and you have like very fashionable very fashionable periodicals and publications start calling them vulgar and they're just kind of criticized a lot in the media even though in rural communities and especially amongst children the superstitions are really strong and this is related to what was meant to be kind of a reform of social life of like popular culture that happened over the early modern period and you have a lot of the educated elites are trying to suppress anything that's anti-christian so stuff like fairs folk telling magic carnivals they're all becoming very taboo and valentine's day was included within all of this because it was a threat to you know an ordered Christian society was an excuse to kind of be drunk and to sin and it didn't really promote what they wanted to know. So around the 17th century you get a lot of criticism from Puritans towards the elites who participated in these lotteries um, and this led to their slow decline over the century. There was this new fashion of kind of marriage being something for love and there was a new kind of focus on self-identity, individualism, and the role of choice in who you're going to marry. So not just kind of picking out a lottery, actually choosing someone that's kind of well. 
And yeah, so by the 18th century, lotteries were taboo and they were for vulgar people. They weren't something that high society should have participated in. Over the 18th century, you also get a shift from people exchanging gifts on Valentine's Day to more kind of letters and tokens. And this obviously gave a lot of profit to post offices and publishers. And so you have a shift from what were very public rituals, giving gifts amongst friends and families and lotteries. And it becomes a lot more of a private holiday. So people send cards, you know, you're not doing it in public anymore. And so then we get like a proper rise of Valentine's becoming a business opportunity. And from the 1780s, you could buy a Valentine's writer for six pence and they would basically just do the work for you for probably men who thought they couldn't write. They would write like short stories, poems, songs, that kind of thing. And then by the 1790s, you could get printed cards in shops for three pence. And even though there's a lot of new types of these printed goods, not just cards, there's also like writing papers, prints, that kind of thing. Valentines were also often homemade, as we said, and the homemade cards were handmade. They had this kind of common theme of this idyllic rural pastoral theme, and it, they were really intended to celebrate like a humble life, the simplicity of rural life. And, and so they would often, like even the ones made commercially, they would have images of shepherds, lambs, cottages, and it just was this idea that the poets and the writers who lived in cities really romanticized the rural life compared to their own. And they thought it was like this haven of like fertility and all of that. And yeah, so that's kind of how it developed in England. And then we have a bit like later, we have how it developed in the US. So really this, they didn't really get modern Valentine's Day until the 1840s and this is when it became something that was just kind of a really archaic old festival in the medieval calendars to something that is was more modern. And it was really just done through a lot of marketing and a lot of advertising. So there was this idea that even though these products of Valentine's Day were created commercially, they were kind of still personal. And there was this like created by the people for the people sense to them that made them something you could give someone you love, but also something that was mass produced. Um, it started when a lot of companies started talking about the day, Valentine's Day, as something that was meant to be exciting. And unlike England, there wasn't this tradition of like these folk festivals in the same way. So it was much more of like an out of the blue thing. There was, but it was praised. So you had newspapers such as the Public Ledger praise the day, saying that people needed more soul play and less headwork, which is nice. And it was especially effective because this is the time you're getting kind of more of a middle class. So this kind of consumption, what would be like luxury goods, was becoming more normal, and people wanted to buy into that. So the idea that this day was like meant to be about love, people didn't really question how commercialized it was because it was like exciting and it was fun. And you even saw a refashioning of the word itself. So in the 17th and 18th century, a Valentine or a Valentine's meant a person or a relationship. And then from the 19th, it becomes an object of exchange. So yeah, again, it's just being commercialized. And it meant that all ages, all genders were targeted by this marketing. And even today, like people send, my mom used to send me Valentine's cards when I was 
young and it's not like necessarily just a romantic thing My mom obviously Aiden sorry my mom did too. Yeah, It's so lovely. fun. I miss that. I think Violet sent me a Valentine's card. Well, that is the history of Valentine's Day. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the History Hag podcast. We will see you again, not next week, but the week after, for another exciting new episode. And, you know, on Spotify, I think you can, like, send little comments about our episodes. So if you have any exciting Valentine stories, send them in, because we don't. Let us know what you've been doing for Valentine's Day and yeah, gender roles in your Valentine's life. Yeah, go on. Give us a give us a tell. <laughs> Thank you so much. And we'll see you next week on The History, the History Hive. <laughs> oh, I hate that.